Section three of the Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Monsieur de la Perouse, part two. Cogliostro still preserved the same mournful silence. They heard the steps of the captain as he left the house, his gay voice in the courtyard, and his farewells to the people assembled to see him depart. Then the horses shook their heads, covered with bells, the door of the carriage shut with some noise, and the wheels were heard rolling along the street. La Perouse had started on that voyage from which he was destined never to return. When they could no longer hear a sound, all looks were again turned to Cogliostro. There seemed a kind of inspired light in his eyes. Count Haga first broke the silence, which had lasted for some minutes. "'Why did you not reply to his question?' he inquired of Cogliostro. Cogliostro started, as if the question had roused him from a reverie. "'Because,' said he, I must either have told a falsehood or a sad truth. How so? I must have said to him, Monsieur de la Perouse, the Duke is right in saying to you adieu, and not au revoir. Oh, said Richelieu, turning pale, what do you mean? Reassure yourself, Marshal. This sad prediction does not concern you. What? cried Madame du Barry. This poor Le Perouse, who has just kissed my hand? Not only, Madame, will never kiss it again, but will never again see those he has just left, said Cogliostro, looking attentively at the glass of water he was holding up. A cry of astonishment burst from all, the interest of the conversation deepened every moment, and you might have thought from the solemn and anxious air with which all regarded Cogliostro that it was some ancient and infallible oracle they were consulting. "'Pray, then, Count,' said Madame du Barry, "'tell us what will befall poor La Perouse.' Cogliostro shook his head. "'Oh, yes, let us hear,' cried all the rest." Well, then, Monsieur de la Perouse intends, as you know, to make the tour of the globe, and continue the researches of poor Captain Cook, who was killed in the Sandwich Islands. Yes, yes, we know. Everything should foretell a happy termination to this voyage. Monsieur de la Perouse is a good seaman and his route has been most skilfully traced by the king. "'Yes,' interrupted Count Haga, "'the king of France is a clever geographer. Is he not, Monsieur de Condorcet?' "'More skilful than is needful for a king,' replied the Marquis. "'Kings ought to know things only slightly. Then they will let themselves be guided by those who know them thoroughly.' "'Is this a lesson, Marquis?' said Count Haga, smiling. Oh, no, only a simple reflection, a general truth. Well, he is gone, said Madame du Barry, anxious to bring the conversation back to La Perouse. Yes, he is gone, 
replied Cogliostro. "'But don't believe, in spite of his haste, that he will soon embark. I foresee much time lost at Brest.' "'That would be a pity,' said de Condorcet. "'This is the time to set out. It is even now rather late. February or March would have been better.' "'Oh, do not grudge him these few months, Monsieur de Condorcet, for during them he will at least live and hope.' "'He has got good officers, I suppose,' said Richelieu. "'Yes.' He who commands the second ship is a distinguished officer. I see him, young, adventurous, brave, unhappily. Why unhappily? A year after I look for him, and see him no more, said Cogliostro, anxiously consulting his glass. No one here is related to Monsieur de Langle. No! no one knows him no well death will commence with him a murmur of affright escaped from all the guests but he la perouse he sails he lands he re-embarks i see one two years of successful navigation we hear news of him and then then years pass but at last the sea is vast the heavens are clouded here and there appear unknown lands in figures hideous as the monsters of the grecian archipelago they watch the ship which is being carried in a fog amongst the breakers by a tempest less fearful than themselves Oh, La Perouse, La Perouse, if you could hear me, I would cry to you. You set out like Columbus to discover a world. Beware of unknown isles. He ceased, and an icy shiver ran through the assembly. But why did you not warn him? said Count Haga, who, in spite of himself, had succumbed to the influence of this extraordinary man. Yes, cried Madame du Barry. Why not send after him and bring him back? The life of a man like La Perouse is surely worth a courier, my dear marshal. The marshal rose to ring the bell. Cogliostro extended his arm to stop him. Alas, said he, all advice would be useless. I can foretell destiny, but I cannot change it. Monsieur de la Perouse would laugh if he heard my words, as the son of Priam laughed when Cassandra prophesied. And see, you begin to laugh yourself, Count Haga, and laughing is contagious. <laughs> Your companions are catching it. Do not restrain yourselves, gentlemen. I am accustomed to an incredulous audience. Oh, we believe said Madame du Barry and the Duc de Richelieu. "'And I believe,' murmured Tavernet. "'And I also,' said Count Haga politely. "'Yes,' replied Cogliostro. "'You believe because it concerns La Perouse, 
but if I spoke of yourself, you would not believe. I confess that what would have made me believe would have been if you had said to him, Beware of unknown isles. Then he would at least have had the chance of avoiding them. I assure you no, Count. And if he had believed me, it would only have been more horrible, for the unfortunate man would have seen himself approaching those isles, destined to be fatal to him, without the power to flee from them. Therefore he would have died not one, but a hundred deaths, for he would have gone through it all by anticipation. Hope, of which I should have deprived him, is what best sustains a man under all trials. Yes, said de Condorcet, the veil which hides from us our future is the only real good which God has vouchsafed to man. Nevertheless, said Count Haga, did a man like you say to me, shun a certain man or a certain thing, I would beware, and I would thank you for the counsel. Cogliostro shook his head with a faint smile. I mean it. Monsieur de Cogliostro, continued Count Haga, warn me, and I will thank you. You wish me to tell you what I would not tell La Perouse? Yes, I wish it. Cogliostro opened his mouth as if to begin, and then stopped and said, No, Count, no. I beg you. Cogliostro still remained silent. "'Take care,' said the Count. "'You are making me incredulous.' "'Incredulity is better than misery.' "'Monsieur de Cogliostro,' said the Count gravely, "'you forget one thing, which is that though there are men who had better remain ignorant of their destiny, there are others who should know it.' as it concerns not themselves alone, but millions of others. Then, said Cogliostro, command me if your majesty commands. I will obey. I command you to reveal to me my destiny, Monsieur de Cogliostro, said the king with an air at once courteous and dignified. At this moment, as Count Haga had dropped his incognito in speaking to Cagliostro, Monsieur de Richelieu advanced toward him and said, "'Thanks, sire, for the honor you have done my house. Will your majesty assume the place of honor?' "'Let us remain where we are, Marshal. I wish to hear what Monsieur de Cagliostro is about to say.' "'One does not speak the truth to kings, sire.' "'Bah!' I am not in my kingdom. Take your place again, duke. Proceed, Monsieur de Cogliostro. I beg. Cogliostro looked again through his glass, and one might have imagined the particles agitated by this look as they danced in the light. Sire, said he, tell me what you wish to know. Tell me by what death I shall die. By a gunshot, sire. The eyes of Gustavus grew bright. Ha! In a battle! 
said he, the death of a soldier. Thanks, Monsieur de Cagliostro, a thousand times thanks. Oh, I foresee battles, and Gustavus Adolphus and Charles the Twelfth have shown me how a king of Sweden should die. Cagliostro drooped his head without replying. Oh, cried Count Haga, will not my wound then be given in battle? No, sire. In a sedition? Yes, that is possible. No, not in a sedition, sire. But where, then? At a ball, sire. The king remained silent, and Cogliostro buried his head in his hands. Everyone looked pale and frightened. Then Monsieur de Condorcet took the glass of water and examined it, as if there he could solve the problem of all that had been going on, but finding nothing to satisfy him. "'Well, I also,' said he, "'will beg our illustrious prophet to consult for me his magic mirror. Unfortunately, I am not a powerful lord. I cannot command, and my obscure life concerns no millions of people.' "'Sir,' said Count Haga, "'you command in the name of science, and your life belongs not to only to a nation, but to all mankind.' "'Thanks.' said de Condorcet, but perhaps your opinion on this subject is not shared by Monsieur de Cogliostro? Cogliostro raised his head. Yes, Marquis, said he in a manner which began to be excited. You are indeed a powerful lord in the kingdom of intelligence. Look me then in the face and tell me seriously if you also wish that I should prophesy to you. Seriously, Count, upon my honor. Well, Marquis, said Cogliostro in a hoarse voice, you will die of that poison which you carry in your ring. You will die. Oh, but if I throw it away? Throw it away. You would allow that. That would be easy throw it away oh yes marquis cried madame du barry throw away that horrid poison throw it away if it be only to falsify this prophet of evil who threatens us all with so many misfortunes for if you throw it away you cannot die by it as monsieur de cogliostro predicts so there at least he will have been wrong madame la comtesse is right said count haga bravo countess said richelieu come marquis throw away that poison for now i know you carry it i shall tremble every time we drink together the ring might open of itself and it is useless said cogliostro quietly monsieur de condorcet will not throw it away no returned de Condorcet. I shall not throw it away. Not that I wish to aid my destiny, but because this is a unique poison prepared by cannabis, and which chance has completely hardened, and that chance might never occur again. Therefore I will not throw it away, 
triumph if you will, Monsieur de Cogliostro. Destiny, replied he, ever finds some way to work out its own ends. Then I shall die by poison, said the Marquis. Well, so be it. It is an admirable death, I think. A little poison on the tip of the tongue, and I am gone. It is scarcely dying. It is merely ceasing to live. It is not necessary for you to suffer, sir, said Cogliostro. Then, sir, said Monsieur de Favras, we have a shipwreck, a gunshot, and a poisoning, which makes my mouth water. Will you not do me the favor also to predict some little pleasure of the same kind for me? Oh, Marquis, replied Cogliostro, beginning to grow warm under this irony. Do not envy these gentlemen. You will have still better. Better, said Monsieur de Favras, laughing. That is pledging yourself to a great deal. It is difficult to beat the sea, fire, and poison. There remains the cord, Marquis, said Cogliostro, bowing. The cord? What do you mean? I mean that you will be hanged, replied Cogliostro, seeming no more the master of his prophetic rage. Hanged? The devil! cried Richelieu. Monsieur forgets that I am a nobleman, said Monsieur de Favras coldly. Or, if he means to speak of a suicide, I warn him that I shall respect myself sufficiently, even in my last moments, not to use a cord while I have a sword. I do not speak of a suicide, sir. Then you speak of a punishment? Yes. You are a foreigner, sir, and therefore I pardon you. What? Your ignorance, sir. In France we decapitate noblemen. You may arrange this, if you can, with the executioner, replied Cogliostro. Monsieur de Favras said no more. There was a general silence and shrinking for a few minutes. Do you know that I tremble at last? said Monsieur de Launay. My predecessors have come off so badly that I fear for myself if I now take my turn. Then you are more reasonable than they. You are right. Do not seek to know the future, good or bad. Let it rest. It is in the hands of God. Oh, Monsieur de Launay, said Madame du Barry, I hope you will not be less courageous than the others have been. I hope so, too, madame, said the governor, then turning to Cogliostro. Sir, he said, favor me in my turn with my horoscope, if you please. It is easy, replied Cogliostro. A blow on the head with a hatchet, and all will be over. A look of dismay was once more general. Richelieu and Tavernet begged Cogliostro to say more, but female curiosity carried the day. "'To hear you talk, Count,' 
said Madame du Barry. "'One would think the whole universe must die a violent death. "'Here we were, eight of us, and five are already condemned by you.' "'Oh, you understand that it is all prearranged to frighten us, "'and we shall only laugh at it,' <laughs> said Monsieur de Favras, trying to do so. "'Certainly we will laugh,' said Count Haga. "'Be it true or false.' "'Oh, I will laugh too, then,' said Madame du Barry. "'I will not dishonour the assembly by my cowardice. "'But, alas, I am only a woman. "'I cannot rank among you and be worthy of a tragical end. "'A woman dies in her bed. "'My death, a sorrowful old woman abandoned by every one, "'will be the worst of all. "'Will it not, Monsieur de Cogliostro?' "'She stopped.' and seemed to wait for the prophet to reassure her. Cogliostro did not speak, so, her curiosity obtaining the mastery over her fears, she went on. "'Well, Monsieur de Cogliostro, will you not answer me?' "'What do you wish me to say, madame?' She hesitated, then rallying her courage. "'Yes,' she cried, "'I will run the risk.' Tell me the fate of Jeanne de Valbernier, Countess du Barry. On the scaffold, madame, replied the prophet of evil. A jest, sir, is it not? said she, looking at him with a supplicating air. Cogliostro seemed not to see it. Why do you think I jest? said he. Oh, because to die on the scaffold one must have committed some crime, stolen or committed murder or done something dreadful. And it is not likely I shall do that. It was a jest, was it not? Oh, mon Dieu. Yes, said Cogliostro. All I have said is but a jest. The countess laughed, but scarcely in a natural manner. "'Come, Monsieur de Favras, said she, uh, "'let us order our funerals.' "'Oh, that will be needless for you, madame,' said Cogliostro. "'Why so, sir?' "'Because you will go to the scaffold in a car.' "'Oh, how horrible! "'This dreadful man, Marshal!' For heaven's sake, choose more cheerful guests next time, or I will never visit you again. Excuse me, madame, said Cogliostro, but you, like all the rest, would have me speak. At least I hope you will grant me time to choose my confessor. It will be superfluous, countess. Why? The last person who will mount the scaffold in France with a confessor will be the King of France. And Cogliostro pronounced these words in so thrilling a voice that everyone was struck with horror. All were silent. Cogliostro raised to his lips the glass of water in which he had read these fearful prophecies, but scarcely had he touched it when he set it down with a movement of disgust. He turned his eyes to Monsieur de Tavernay. "'How!' 
cried he in terror do not tell me anything i do not wish to know well then i will ask instead of him said richelieu you marshal be happy you are the only one of us all who will die in his bed coffee gentlemen coffee cried the marshal enchanted with the prediction everyone rose but before passing into the drawing-room count haga approaching cogliostro said tell me what to beware of of a muff sir replied cogliostro and i said condorcet of an omelette good i renounce eggs and he left the room and i said monsieur de favras what must i fear a letter and i said de lanay the taking of the bastille oh you quite reassure me and he went away laughing now for me sir said the countess trembling you beautiful countess shun the place louis fifteenth alas said the countess one day already i lost myself there that day i suffered much she left the room and cogliostro was about to follow her when richelieu stopped him one moment said he there remains only tavernet and i my dear sorcerer monsieur tavernet begged me to say nothing and you marshal have asked me nothing oh i do not wish to hear again cried tavernet but come to prove your power tell us something that only tavernet and i know what asked cogliostro smiling tell us what makes tavernet come to versailles instead of living quietly in his beautiful house at maison rouge which the king bought for him three years ago nothing more simple marshal said cogliostro ten years ago monsieur de tavernet wished to give his daughter mademoiselle andrea to the king louis the fifteenth but he did not succeed how growled tavernet now monsieur wishes to give his son philippe de tavernet to the queen marie antoinette ask him if i speak the truth on my word said tavernet trembling this man is a sorcerer devil take me if he is not do not speak so cavalierly of the devil my old comrade said the marshal it is frightful murmured tavernet and he turned to implore cogliostro to be discreet but he was gone come tavernet to the drawing-room said the marshal or they will drink their coffee without us but when they arrived there the room was empty no one had courage to face again the author of these terrible predictions the wax lights burned in the candelabra the fire burned on the hearth but all for nothing ma foi old friend it seems we must take our coffee tete-a-tete why where the devil has he gone 
Richelieu looked all around him, but Tavernet had vanished like the rest. "'Never mind,' said the marshal, chuckling as Voltaire might have done, and rubbing his withered, though still white hands. "'I shall be the only one to die in my bed. Well, Count Cogliostro, at least I believe, in my bed, that was it. I shall die in my bed, and I trust not for a long time. Hola, my valet de chambre, and my drops.' The valet entered with the bottle, and the marshal went with him into the bedroom. End of the prologue. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.